When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Emotions are running yeah. high. Yeah, they are. My emotions are running high. Uh, we have some, you know, breaking news. So we're doing a very special episode of the Renee Stubbs podcast. It's midsummer. It's a good chance to check in. Anyway, you and I saw each other at the City Open a few days ago where you were the all-around MC, the voice of God. We can get into all of that. Let's start with the news. You want to fill everybody in who might not have seen all over social media what's going on today? Well, if uh, anyone is not have a television on or a telephone and maybe live somewhere that doesn't exist uh, any kind of form of electronic gadgets, Serena Williams basically put out a, which I thought was spectacular, by the way, a great um, article in Vogue magazine that came out today and has basically announced that she will be, what did she say, evolving away from tennis. Uh, I thought that was so good because she just yeah. didn't want to say the word, the R word, which is one that we all have to deal with at times as professional athletes, retirement. So US Open will be her swan song. She hasn't said that's her swan song, but I can tell you that's going to be the swan song. Yeah. So I thought um, I loved the word evolving uh, away because I think anybody who's watched her play in the last couple of years has probably come to the same conclusion, like, okay, this is like a matter of time. Because we had her when she came back from having Olympia. She made a couple of Grand Slam finals. She was, you know, not quite looking like the competitor we used to be seeing, but got really damn close to getting um, more Grand Slams. And then, in especially like the last year or two, um, you know, we really haven't seen her very much. Like the match she won yesterday in Toronto was the first match she'd won on the tour in over a year. So I feel yeah. like, you know, is was the chatter inside the locker rooms and in the sort of like tennis world that this was probably her last year? Like what was sort of the tone of how people talked about her in the last like little bit of time? You know, Serena's always done everything really on her own terms and whether it be not playing the fall schedule, you know, US Open would finish and she just wouldn't play anymore. Um, so she's kind of, you know, been that person that's beat to her own drum. And I think the way that she's handled this situation is, 100% all about what was best for her and what she wanted to do. Um, I don't think there was any influence over her as far as like feeling like she necessarily needed to play for other people or retire at a certain point. I think, it, again, it was all about what she wanted. And I think, you know, reading that article about her 
you know, beautiful daughter saying, you know, what does she want in the phone? And she said, I want a baby sister. You know, I thought that was super cute in the article to hear that. And I think that weighed on her mind. I, I, you know, look, I know Serena personally. I know that she's very much wants to have another child. So I think that is definitely weighing on her mind, something she already also expressed in the article of saying if she was a guy, this wouldn't be a problem because she'd have a wife having children. Um, but but uh, I thought that was that's definitely that is definitely a huge part of it. Also, Caitlin, it's just really hard, man. You know, physically, emotionally, um, to to be a professional tennis player for this amount of time, it takes it out on you. I mean, look, I'm not comparing myself to Serena in any way, but I retired at 39, 40 years of age as well, and I was only playing doubles, and it just it just takes it out of you. You know, the stress every time you step up to play a match or, you know, getting up in the morning to go practice or going and going to the gym and making sure you eat well and making sure you don't have two drinks. You maybe have just one a week, you know, like everything like that is constantly having to think about what do I need to do to be a better tennis player and win tennis matches. And she's been doing that for 30 years, you know, so. For sure. um, And also, I mean, you didn't mention this, but, you know, just when you start to understand the rhythm of what an in-season travel schedule is you know like these guys are on planes every couple of days i mean obviously serena won more tournaments than most players for most of her career but still like you're in a new locale every one or two weeks it is really hard to imagine that you renee stubbs ever said you know what i'm just gonna have that one drink this week not two but i don't want to give you too much of a hard time i just want to sort of subtly bring up that that might be like sort of a fact checkable moment how dare you? I was a, <laughs> just let me tell you something, Caitlin. It's one of the things I you have known me since my retirement. Okay. <laughs> but prior to my retirement, I was actually in a very, very focused uh, tennis player. And I, I really don't remember drinking all that much. I mean, I remember if I had a glass of wine, I was like, ah, oh, one, uh, I, it'll be okay. Oh, I should be okay. But I, I very rarely drank before I played a match the, the next day. I mean, at all. So that's hence the reason why I'm catching up on the 30, you know, <laughs> 20, 22 years that I played professionally that I didn't drink. I'm making up for it now. So this, this is how you've known me. But, you know, look, Serena's a, I wouldn't say she's a party girl at all, but she definitely likes to have a good time and she's fun off the tennis court and fun away from the tennis court and likes to have fun. And, you know, her interests are elsewhere now. And, you know, she talked about the juxtaposition of, this was so hard for her. And as it was for me, and I, I don't I, keep, I don't want to keep comparing, but I know what this feeling is like as far as you lo- – I love – I mean, you know, you see me. Like, I love to play, you know what I mean? Like, even when I'm playing the Invitational at Wimbledon or the Australian Open, I love the entertainment part of it. And I loved reading that part in the article, how she said that's the part that she's going to miss a lot and probably the most is the entertainment factor – of playing. And I loved that she said essentially on the lines that not a lot of players get that. And she gets that. She gets the part where she's a star. She understands it's a sport, but she also understands it's entertainment and she's giving people sort of something a little bit extra. And, you know, whether you like some of Serena's antics on the court or her drama sometimes on the court or, you know, the entertainment factor of her, that's Serena. She cannot help herself but be human and I always loved I cannot tell you how many times I would watch Serena play and be like oh my god I fucking love Serena just the stuff that she would do you know the body movements and the leg kicks and the you know everything about her is a show that we will 
very unlikely see Everett again. And I loved that she put that in there about sort of other players not really understanding that part of the job. Yeah, it definitely felt like a very self-aware um, realization to sort of say like, yeah, I love the celebrity part of this. I love the fact that I'm larger than life. I love the fact that the crowds respond to me. And I can imagine also like in the last couple of years as her fitness like definitely wasn't up to what I'm sure she would have liked or you really need to have to be able to contend for titles. You know, she was having to go play more matches than she probably wanted to or felt like she needed to in years past to like kind of keep the level up. And so I get why eventually she sort of comes to this place where she's like, well, I can't enter into a tournament anymore and just sort of play my way into form because the girls are too good and I'm too far out of that peak of my career. And so that feels like maybe, you know, what sort of forced her hand a little bit. I also, I appreciated that the essay made it very clear how ambivalent she was. And I just feel like you're probably one of the few people having played to around the same time that she did for having the longevity of a career that she did to be able to say like, you know, after a long time, like you kind of just want to do something else, right? Like not, not, totally stay away from the game as much as just that's a really intense micro environment to be in for such a long time and now her world's sort of gotten bigger yeah uh, yeah I can understand it because I, I I there was it's not a love hate that's that's too strong a word it's like a it's like a love and a uh you know like oh the anxiety that goes into walking on the tennis court the the stress of get you know of of walking on and with her it's an expectation that she has to win every single time you know and i remember specifically um what angie kerber came off the court at the australian open as a defending champion and won a very tight first round i believe it was and she came off and said, you know, essentially along the lines of, man, I was so nervous. And, you know, because she's all of a sudden, you know, expected to maybe win again. Right. And so there was all this pressure put on her and she really felt it. She managed to get through it. But I, I mentioned it to Serena or maybe it was even in this vicinity of Serena being there. And I t- sort of said to Serena, yeah, you know, Angie said something about it being you know, wow, like the expectation and the pressure on me is different. And she goes, yeah, girl, welcome to my life for the last 20 years. You know what I mean? So it's like, wow, like you forget about that, that that she's been under that spotlight since she was basically 16, 17 years of age. I mean, when did she win her first US Open? 23 years ago. So yeah. she was, not, I believe, 19 years of age. Yeah, 19. So, I mean, from the age of 19, really, till this day, everyone thinks she's supposed to win every match all the time. And Believe it or not, she probably thinks she should as well. I mean, and honestly, like more than any other player, man or woman, that's mostly been true, right? I mean, obviously her slams, her gold medals, her career streak at number one, you know, somebody was talking to me about her head-to-head averages. You know, she's a winning record against everybody uh, during her time. The closest basically anybody ever came, and we actually had a piece about this because we thought it was sort of a – cool moment is Justine Henna. Justine Henna had like almost 50-50, not really, it was six and four, but like everybody else, it was super lopsided, right? And just, you know, against her own sister, it was seven and two. You know, she really just didn't lose very much. And Mm -mm. it's hard to sort of put into words what watching her during that, like, what would you say her peak was? Like 2005 to like 2015 or so? Uh, Yeah, I mean, look, bloody hell, she's it feels like to me she's peaked her whole career really yeah. I mean but yeah I mean there were periods of time where she did I mean she had the Serena slam twice you know yeah. where she were held all four grand slams at the same time that happened twice and of course she came very so very close to doing it again at the US Open when she lost to Roberta Vinci I saw a tweet today where someone said 
um, we'll all blame v- Roberta Vinci. You know, I said, well, <laughs> she had a few losses in Grand Slam finals. But the flip side of it is is I was looking at Venus, Venus Williams's record at Grand Slams, and she only won seven only. Uh, I mean, incredible, five Wimbledons, two U.S. Opens. But I believe she was in 25 Grand Slam finals, and I believe she lost – I mean, I wish I had the list here, but because, you know, somebody's going to listen to this podcast and go, how do you not know that? She should have had this ready, but you have to understand something. Caitlin and I do this shit on the fly. So, um, that's how we keep it I, fresh I, for our audience, how we you know? keep, It's, it's that, more vibes. You want some nerdery like the records? There's Wikipedia. Go look it up yourself. Yeah, go look it up. But I was on Wikipedia because <laughs> I was doing her uh, as as the voice of God last week, and she lost, like – something like 14 times or something to Serena in the final. I mean, fuck, I'd be pissed if that was my sister. It's like <laughs> you, you stopped me being one of the, the all time greats. I mean, so, I mean, their story in that in and of itself of these two sisters that dominated the sport for so long and the amount of times Venus could have been holding up that trophy and was only stopped by little sister Serena. But also, you know, you, when you read the essay in Vogue, which is, I really employ everybody to read it because it's really, really, really beautifully written. Wait, 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 we should um, say, I, w- I just want to qualify. I do not think it's beautifully written. I think it's very poorly written. I think her words are really interesting, but the editing and the writing of it was like quite, it left a lot to be desired. So I just want to say, in, well, now that we've crossed into my area of expertise, I would love to have seen an editor actually get to a more sort of beautifully crafted ending because it read very staccato in a way that was not great. That has nothing to do with Serena. Serena, it's an as told to and what she was willing to reveal about herself and some of the tidbits that, you know, obviously we've been discussing in terms of Olympia and wanting, you know, to evolve and, you know, talking about her relationship with Venus. It is worth a read because it's really interesting and she's very vulnerable and makes herself very, I think, open. Um, but I was ho- sort of hoping it would have been a sort of finer crafted piece, which really says more about the, the Vogue team than anything else. Well, but thank you for letting me pontificate because I have been sort of annoyed reading this thing today, trying to be like, ugh, this could have been so much better. Well, okay. Well, so see, this is why we are perfect about talking about stuff because <laughs> I come from, you know, a very limited education. Um, and also, uh, I mean, I'm not a dummy, but, but I read it, um, I read it like as if, as a former tennis player and somebody who has gone through that emotional roller coaster and also knowing her and, and, and knowing the, the maturation of her career and her life and her as a person and her family. And, um, I read it, uh, it was her words. It was truly, it was how I would write an article, which as you know, you would never publish because <laughs> I can't write. But but people people that are not super educated as far as journalism or writing a book are concerned, I do that in air quotes that no one can see, they would read it and read it like I was talking to them. And I felt like Serena was talking. I re- To be honest with you, this is what I felt when I was reading halfway through it. I felt like we were getting the real Serena for the very first time. That I that don't helped. disagree with. I agree with you. And, and kudos to her to be, for being open because I think, yeah. you know, what you look at if you read like one of the all-time great um, pieces of sort of like self-awareness plus good writing is like you get Andre Agassi's open, right? Well, yeah, but he but who, who wrote it? A Pulitzer Prize winning writer. Yeah, but... Vogue's got to bring out the bigger guns when you're dealing with Serena, a legend, you know, get that guy, get J.R. Moringer, get, you know, the, 
get Jeanette. Va- uh, yeah. I'm just saying. Listen, Caitlin. Caitlin. Room for improvement. Something. Something tells me. Something tells me. And I'm fairly certain we're going to see a book. So. Oh sure, sure. I just hope she does what she's done here, which is be open and really go. Oh, she will into the depths of it because i think if you look at her documentary which was like very very i think soft and not at all it was sort of unintentionally revealing i think we i would love all of this is coming from a place of she's a very interested and complicated person she is undoubtedly an incredible athlete that has transcended the sports to become like one of the all-time greats that you would list alongside like muhammad ali and uh you know michael jordan and you know Larry Burt, like Pele, you know, this, this, this is somebody who's become bigger than the sport in a way that's amazing. And I think, you know, there's no, there's no, um, you know, no slight intended, but for me, what I would really love to see is for them to sit down just like Billie Jean King did with Jeanette Folliers and, and, uh, Andrea do you want to write did. this book? Do you no, want to write this I want book? somebody better than want? me to write this book. I want this book to be what it can be because I think she's such a fascinating person. I want it to be better than what King Richard was and I want it to be better than what um, the documentary about her was because I think she deserves the complexity of being seen as a full human being. And I agree with you that what I think you're reacting to in that Vogue essay that was really great is she brought to, to that conversation a real introspective and vulnerable persona that we don't see from her. And I think that's really cool and I hope to see more of it because I think that probably wouldn't have helped her be a better tennis player, but it's going to help her be a better human after having had a tennis career, you know? And I think that's yeah. a really interesting thing to watch. And I'm excited to see what kind of person she becomes and, and what she, you know, continues to sort of discuss and steer and, and do all the amazing things that we know she's interested in doing. Well, I know it's, you know, Serena Ventures is really one of the reasons she started it, <clears throat> not only because she's smart and, you know, has a lot of money and wants to make more money and, but the, the the objective really was to support women-owned businesses because, you know, she had that conversation with uh, various different uh, venture capital women and said that only 2% of money goes to female-owned companies, so startup companies. And she was like, yeah, 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 right, and then researched it and realized it really was just 2% that were investing in women, women's own, women-owned, uh, you know, venture startup companies. So she said, that's it. That's my goal, and good for her. Um, so, so that's awesome. I know that she wants to have another child. Um, I know that they're actively, you know, trying, um, whether or not they're actively, actively trying right at this very moment, I don't know, but that's not for me to decide, but I know that she's definitely wants to have another child and, um, yeah, I mean, wow. Just to think, you know, what she's done over the last 20 years, um, in this just over 20 year phenomenal career, she's just the most, um, you know, well-known, most incredibly diverse, like, she's not just tennis. She, she's, you know, so like Beyonce yeah, of tennis. A, I mean, she's, she's so a, big. She's an amazingly complex and interesting human being. And I think we're going to miss her on a lot of levels. And I think actually that kind of sets the table next for not only talking about the rest of the season and what's been happening this summer, but like, it's hard to imagine that this doesn't become the main narrative of the U S open, not that it shouldn't, it's just like this, what else can you talk about? Like, you know, we get like a new star with a new face, like Amirata Kanu last year who won, came through qualifying and won the whole thing. Like, sure. Great. But mostly it's Serena's last U S open. Right. I mean, it's hard oh, to no, imagine. Like, any, can anybody talk about anything else? Is this going to take up all no. the air in the room? No. Right. 
no, this is going to take up the air in the room, the air in the outside room, the air on the court, the air. I mean, it's just forget it. Like I've already had people that said, oh, I was thinking about maybe coming to the USO, but now I'm coming. I'm definitely coming. I've got to see Serena. Like that is going to be the hottest ticket uh, in sports um, is, you know, it, seeing Serena Williams play her last match. I mean, good luck getting a ticket for that match. Um, I can, but I have to work. So hopefully <laughs> I get an opportunity to either work the match um, or nothing would make me, you know, happier to watch her win a lot of matches at the US Open because I think that would just be absolutely crazy. And I mean, you were out there, the atmosphere at the US Open last year was just outstanding. And we, you know, we we had two kids that no one had ever heard of make a final and the atmosphere is probably the best I've ever, ever, ever. Yeah. And that's saying something. And I don't know if it was that everyone was out of COVID and thank God everyone could go and watch tennis again. But boy, oh boy, we're going to see and hear New York probably has never been this loud or the US Open has never been this loud and this enthusiastic to see a tennis player play than we're going to see this year with us, you know, the retirement of Serena Williams. And it'll be interesting, Caitlin, to see what Venus does now because I just can't see one playing without the other. Um, So Venus, of course, as always, very low-key. Venus will probably finish her last match and be like, yo, by the way, that's it. Like, you know what I mean? That's sort of her personality, kind of like very much like Steffi who just sort of said, okay, guys, yeah, just so you know, uh, I'm done. And that's the end of it at in San Diego rather than at the US Open, you know what I mean? So Andre had the farewell of farewells and his wife was like, yeah, bye. You know, whereas I could see <laughs> Venus being, I could see Venus being like, yeah, bye. Like, that's it, I'm done. Like, you but know, you do think that this is like going to potentially presage Venus's retirement? I think that, it would very much surprise me if Venus wasn't and doesn't retire as well at the US Open. But no, listen. what? Really? That's quite a thing to say. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, listen, uh, I'm going to go on the record and say I wouldn't be surprised if it happens as well. And I don't know anything. I haven't sure. spoken to Venus about it. I did speak to Serena last week and, and you know, you could tell it was it was just becoming too much for her. You know, just the, the focus on tennis, the practice, the traveling, the you name it, whatever it was. You know, she wants to have another kid. Um it's a lot. And she loves, 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 of course, Olympia and wants to spend as much time with her. And, you know, Caitlin, you know, as, as a mom, like it, you yeah, just so you, you, don't want, you don't want to miss those little things. And it's difficult because the kids want your attention. And, you know, it's hard when you're a superstar playing tennis to give your kid all that attention. So for sure, I think that's that's definitely weighing on her as well. So let's talk about if it's possible, what else is happening in the tennis world? Because we've had a couple of really interesting tournaments. Like we mentioned, you were down in D.C., we had um, a tremendous uh, win, double crown 
Nick Kyrgios winning both the singles and the doubles. He was the defending champion of the singles, right? Didn't he win it the last no, time it was no. held? No, no, no. That was the women's. Uh, no, he actually came to DC last year and didn't do it as well. I think he might have even lost in the first round. But um, this year he came back. Unbelievable. I mean, honestly, like the match with Francis Tiafo is probably one of the most entertaining, fun matches I've watched in a long, long time. The atmosphere in DC, and I got to give a lot of kudos, Caitlin. You came down to Mark Iron, the tournament owner, and the city for you know the sponsorship and efforts that they're putting in to make this tournament better. And the parks, obviously, in, in Washington, the what do they call it, Washington Park? Yeah, it's uh, what is it? Uh, eh, it's Rock City Park, uh, Rock Creek Park Tennis Center, something like that. Yeah, the Rock Rock Creek Park Tennis Center, where they started this tournament fifty something years ago, and it was the first time in the history of the actual tournament that somebody's won the singles and the doubles. Um, in the, I believe in the men's. I'm not sure about the women's, but definitely in the men's. So a great effort from Nick. I mean, he played every night match, so he's there late every day. You know, and he went out a couple of times and played doubles late. So he had, you know, he had a lot of rain, a couple of rain delays. That really, and and the, the heat was crazy hot. Um, but Nick, I don't know, Caitlin, like after this Wimbledon run, he just seems to have, there's a, a light that's flicked for me inside. Now he's still going to be nuts. He's still going to be yelling at his box and that's his way of letting go of, 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 of emotions. There's no question about it. But I, there's something that it, to me that has clicked that he understands that his time is running out in some way, even though these guys are playing into their mid thirties, he doesn't seem like a type of guy that wants to play in his mid, mid to late thirties. And I think he, he's always played with a bit of fear of failure. And so he's always had that sort of, in my opinion, like an ex, not excuses, but like just that, Oh, I don't really care. You know, I don't really. Yeah, it's like, like a self-protective and in, <clears throat> instinct to sort of, be the cool guy so he doesn't have to be the tryhard who gets his feelings exactly it's exactly a classic so, tough guy maneuver it's it very is. transparent and, hey the, and, and listen i've known plenty that have done it in their career sure. except some some of them do it in a very quiet way so they sort of look like they're tanking you know um you know and they're like not trying you think about someone like a benoit pair i mean lo looks pretty obvious when he's tanky but the guy cares you know what i mean like i know i brought that up because he's your favorite but <laughs> like nick to me looked like last week that he actually was really trying to yeah. win that tournament and he really put his head down he, look he lost his shit a couple of times he probably acted like a bit of a bit of a ding dong in the tie break against Francis. Like that wasn't cool serving when the crowd was going crazy. And I think Francis was pretty pissed about that. But the overall picture is that he really, really bloody tried and he really was acting very, very good last week in DC. And he won the singles and the doubles. And I think once you start to win, you start to realize what you're actually capable of doing yeah. week to week to week. And the I mean, fact this that is he what went, most of us have been waiting for, which is not that he necessarily wins, just that he like plays the kind of tennis we know he can play on a more regular basis. And by the way, usually that means he's going to win, right? Like everybody knows that he's incredibly talented. So it's really, really honestly sort of surprising because I was a little bit underwhelmed by his Wimbledon performance. I thought he took himself out of the match before the match even started with all of his like glad handing and sort of deciding that he'd made it far enough. You know, whereas usually he would have been petty and talking shit and then really trying to take the fight to Novak in a way that I didn't think he just kind of turned up to do. Whereas coming off that, he's, you're right, really had some blazing fire. He's got like the best record on the men's tour right now. He's had a great right. summer so far and it's really exciting to sort of see him playing well. So I'm, I'm really pumped. I'm here for it. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how he handles um, playing in Montreal. 
geez, I, I think it's a, I'm almost a bit shocked that he went, but we're going to see how he handles that because that's a tough back back up. Um, but yeah, really, really terrific um, effort from him. And yeah, there was something else I wanted to say about him, but um, I mean, I think overall, uh, this is just a player that I think his life is in a good place as far as, you know, he's the people around him. He's spoken about that ad nauseum. Um, and we'll see where, where it goes. We'll see where that court case goes in Australia too. I don't know what that, what is happening with that, but uh, certainly that's got to be playing on his mind to a certain degree. Um, but I want to give kudos to um, Yoshi Nishioka, who lost in the final there, who just battled through every match. I mean, he, he was down and out in, I think, every match that he played, except you know, finally losing the final. But, you know, he, he made me cry in the pro- trophy presentation because he said, you know, he had his words were, my start of my year was, was a nightmare. And um, he, he was contemplating retiring because he wasn't having results. And so to see him get to the final and have that result there and play the tennis that he did, it was so fun to watch. It was so nice. And again, like, you know, when you hear a, a tennis player and I've been there, like say those things, you know how hard it is to keep dragging yourself out of those holes. So to see him finally, like, um, you know, have some have a great result. And he was loved all week. He played for the Washington Castles, as did Nick Kyrgios, you know, in t- World Team Tennis. So they'd love him there. And um, it was really nice to see him have such a terrific week. Also, my girl, Kaya Kanepi, like making another final, sadly came a little bit short against Ludmila Samsonova, but just, you know, battling all week long. And it was an amazing uh, a tournament, really. Yeah, they um, and had I know you great won- draws. I mean, they had great players. I watched a lot of Rublev matches. I saw Azarenka play. I mean, they had a really good field. Obviously, the men's was a little bit bigger in terms of prize money and points at a 500 versus the women's 250. But massive kudos to, to Mark and to that staff and to that venue. They really, really keep improving it every year. And I know they work really, really hard to get the kind of field and to get the kind of like fan experience that they've been working on getting. So like I'm so, so, so happy. I've lived in I lived in DC for a little bit um, in my 20s when I worked at the Washington Post and seeing I used to play at those courts as my like local rec courts for like six dollars an hour, you know, after work and seeing it turned into this like massive success has been really cool to watch just because, you know, I have a bit of a personal connection with it. And I know you do, too. I mean, you've played for World Team Tennis there um, and, you know, been going to D.C. for years, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I love D.C. It's literally one of my favorite cities. And some people like, you know, Aussies are like, where should I go in the U.S.? And I'm like, OK, go here, go here, go to Washington. They're like, really? And I'm like, oh, my God, you've got to go to Washington, D.C. It's beautiful. It's such a great city. And you obviously have so much to see there and, and learn about the history of the United States. And so, yeah. And, and as, as I said, it's beautiful, leafy city and awesome. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit, Caitlin, and talk about, I know, also one of your favorites, Daria Kasakina. Daria let's just talk about this for a second came out I mean you know those of us in the tennis world knew about her life but she came out officially and you know let everybody know that she was um, in a relationship with a woman that she was living this life and that you know being Russian and how difficult it is and yada 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 and then since doing that this is her first time back because of course she had the ban at Wimbledon which I know you were such a fan of and um, uh, comes out and wins the tournament out in the bank of the uh, no the Mubadala uh, event out in the West Coast in San Jose and kudos to Dasha because what an awesome 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 tournament and for her to come out and then win the next tournament yes girl you go queen for sure I'm I am I mean obviously it speaks to the power of being uh you know at peace with yourself and feeling like you're playing free. Uh, I don't think this was necessarily a secret as much as just something that she hadn't really discussed 
too much before. And But it really, really goes without saying, and a lot of her sort of conversation about coming out for me was about how it felt being Russian and her issues with the government feeling suppressed, feeling oppressed. And, you know, I think, honestly, like not to bring, to reinterrogate our Wimbledon critique, but again, like part of my issue with it was these players aren't necessarily being treated well or supporting the government at all. And her comments that she made um, while being interviewed when she was being, uh, you know, training in Barcelona um, sort of indicated as much. And so to me, it was more like, wow, this is cool and great under any circumstances, but this actually makes it very brave, not because coming out necessarily is inherently brave, although sometimes it is, but really because coming out as a political person in the context of, you know, as a Russian, where presumably a lot of her family, her money, her, her, you know, connections still reside. So for me, like the fact that she had an immediately huge result, I mean, that's a big tournament with a lot of points, a lot of money. And, you know, it was a huge field. Osaka played that, Goff played that, Maria Sakari played that, like they had a yeah. ton of great players in that field, right? Like that's no small shakes. So I hope, you know, Dash is always fun to watch because she has all the tools and she's fun and, in, you know, improvises on the court. Um, and you really do get the sense that she's like a fun, cool person, which I'm sure you can speak to. And so seeing her play her kind of tennis and succeed at it while also, you know, coming off the back of, you know, a pretty intense summer was is cool. Like, that's a cool, cool thing to, to see happen. And obviously we're big fans and, you know, support her. And she's had a tough couple of years, to be honest. She hasn't played at her best, and uh, she's, uh, I believe, almost up into the inside the top one uh, uh, ten, I believe. So it's just great to have her back, being where she belongs. She's such a great player, such an all-round player. So Dasha, way to go, well done. Um, Can I also, ask two questions because I have two things I want to talk about um, before we should wrap this up and let people get their teeth into our newsy podcast here, which is um, Naomi Osaka. What can you say? God, I don't know. I mean, it's actually what I was going to talk to you about. So I don't know what's going on there, Caitlin. I mean, obviously, look, she's gotten rid of her coach or her coach left her. I don't know how what happened there. But, um, you know, has her dad back as the coach for San Jose. So maybe she just wants the familiarity of him and, you know, not having the stress or pressure. I don't know. And then she throws out that text, uh, that tweet about, I wish my parents were rich so I didn't essentially have to support anybody. And look, I, your guess is as good as mine. I mean, this kid is so up and down and, um, you know, to put something out like that on Twitter, it's just absolutely crazy. Obviously took it down rather quickly, but unfortunately for her, she's a multi, um, you know, she has millions of fans and and someone would have taken a screenshot of it and then, and they did and they put it out and they said, what the hell is this? So she's inevitably going to be asked that question again, which is crazy because one of the things she hates doing is talking to the press when they start asking her tough questions. And this is going to be a tough question, and this is going to be a question that's not going to let her – I mean, if I'm a journalist in the room, I'm not going to not ask her about this. And then people are going to say, oh, you know, look, you don't need to – ask. and me me including, I, I was one that said, like, you've got to protect the players a little bit. You don't need to ask them these crazy questions. But, mate, you put it out there. Like, you open the door. So what do you expect, you know, journalists and people in tennis to, to do? I mean, that was just bonkers. So, look, she's playing in Canada this week. We'll see how she goes. She's got a tough first round, um, you know, and if she doesn't get through it, I just, I don't know. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make I, sense. I mean, I hope, obviously, I hope for her sake and mental health and all the, you know, uh, well-being 
you gotta hope she's she's doing okay. Um, I thought she looked okay against Coco Goff, not bad, um, not like fantastic, but you know, obviously, you know what she's capable of doing, and you want her to feel you know healthy and happy. I also do wonder what she's up to in terms of working on that stuff, you know, because I think we and myself included, and you know, obviously going to bat for a woman, especially a woman of color who who maybe gets asked or pushed in directions you don't want to you know take uh for granted what that must feel like and make it you know all about well it's your job it's not your job to get abused while you are at a place of work and we know that the makeup of some of those rooms is overwhelmingly male and old and not necessarily very um sort of read in on what it you know a modern sports conversation on the other hand as you said if you talk about some maybe what could be interpreted as dirty laundry and this is part of your sporting persona and also not to mention the fact that you're minting money off the court for all these sponsors but on the court it's a struggle it does it naturally leads to some questions and so i'm not going to say that those are not fair game is it unfair to bully this person one thousand percent is it fair to ask questions especially if these are topics she's bringing up absolutely right yeah i mean that's part of the job especially if you're going to mint money off of the court trading on your persona and your sort of, you know, image. And so I think there's some nuance here, but I hope obviously she's in a good place. That's not necessarily what the signals might uh, indicate, but who, you know, who knows? Yeah, exactly. Who knows? So, uh, like I said, we'll see what happens in Canada, but you know, um, speaking of bullying and I, I mean, and look, you know me, I get on a bit of a Twitter rant sometimes and, um, <laughs> you? and yeah, some of these people on Twitter, that just like, for example, I was on Twitter the last few days, you know, sort of going back and forth with this complete wanker. It's always a guy, uh, <laughs> most most of the time, not always, but you know about about um, Emma Raducanu and not having this success, and you know she's a has been and she's all lucky, and it's like the girl got through qualifying in the U.S. Open and won the Grand, uh, won the U.S. Open. Now, did she beat Serena and? Azarenka and you know Naomi and Coco Goff and all these players to win the no but she beat who she could beat to win the tournament you cannot blame her for that situation no 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 no. you win seven matches you win the US Open no no she won 10 matches she won 10 fucking (laughs) matches okay she fucking won 10 okay so listen she won 10 was it her fault no she just won the tournament like give her a break she's 19 you know, okay, Iga Sviantek has had a phenomenal career since winning the French Open, but she also had some ups and downs. She lost today against Camilla Giorgi. Camilla Giorgi can beat anybody on any given day and everybody. Yeah, she beat Serena like it. twice in one year's time. Like she's, yeah, she's she can a beat giant anybody. Slayer. So, okay. And she lost last week to Sam Sonova, who, by the way, won the tournament. And she probably should have won the first set at least 7-6. So, look, it, is she having some losses? Yes. But is it a shock to everybody? No. But why? Why do people feel the need to just bash this kid? I don't get it. Like, is your life that pathetic that you feel the need to go onto Twitter and just like ram it in people's faces how she's just a one hit wonder? Like, get, uh, like, get, oh, just help me out here. I mean, I think so. Actually, what I was going to say about Radicano, because I was watching that Georgia match earlier today and I also watched her in DC, she's looking pretty good. I mean, listen. I am not one of the people, and I know you're not either because you actually know tennis, who was saying like, okay, well, now that she's won a U.S. Open, like she's going to win, do nothing but winning. 
that's not how it goes, especially for somebody who's young and had earlier than average success. If you watch her play, she's competing, she's improving, her body's figuring out how to not grow blisters on blisters, although that seems to be like, you know, probably one of her bigger struggles, to be honest, is just getting herself used to the ins and outs of the tour. This is her first year on tour. So I have absolutely no patience for anybody who has anything other than, um, you know, if this girl was bombing out in the first round of literally every tournament she entered, then it'd be one thing. It's another to sort of say like, hey, this girl is currently a top 10 player, honestly, probably is playing like a more of a top 20, 30 player. That's still great. And let's give her a little bit of breathing room to continue to develop her game, right? Leila yeah. Fernandez has had a pretty horrendous year. She, granted, got injured and had to miss a whole bunch of tournaments. But because she didn't win the tournament, I think she's certainly benefited from a lot more sort of like flying under the radar expectations. And so I think totally. part of... I don't want to defend like online wankership at all because I've been in the middle of some fun online conflagrations in the last couple of days. Um, I didn't even think that was going to, you know, trigger any sort of notice or response to be honest. I thought that was pretty mild, but here we are. Um, So, but I will say, I think part of what sometimes the backlash comes from these athletes, I'm not saying it's deserved, but when they are marketed and sold a certain way, when, every single endorsement and every single commercial and every single poster and every single brand all of a sudden gets behind a player. There is this feeling of expectation around them. Not everyone is good about delivering on that. And what I would love to see, frankly, from agents and from people in charge of the young, especially young women, but young players who are just getting their footing is don't sell them as much as you might want to because trust that the process is going to give them more chances for exposure. And I think part of it builds in this expectation where it's a foregone conclusion that they're going to be in every final when their faces are plastered over every single thing. Right. And I'm, and I know that that must be, I'm, I know that zero agents are going to listen to that and think that's a good idea. I should do that. But I do ultimately think that that's going along with creating a longevity and a career that's a little bit healthier. Like we see a lot of these players, Kaya Kanepi is a great example, somebody who's never been at the center of the spotlight, but has had a long career, been a giant slayer and been, you know, relatively healthy and well-adjusted because she hasn't had like a mountain of expectations on her back. You know, you hear a lot of people talk about that as, as part of the issue. And I think a lot of it has to do with brands and sponsors and obligations. And it's not just, you know, time, it's, it's what, it, what people feel like they're entitled from you if they see you on the covers of buses around the city. You know what I'm saying? And so uh, I'm not saying commercialism is bad in tennis, but I do think agents should be thoughtful about how that can create expectations and maybe create some brand partnerships that aren't going to require as much, um, you know, and, and potentially take a toll on somebody. I think I keep coming back to Naomi. They've done every single deal laid in front of them. She's everywhere. She's got 20 patches on. She's selling NFTs. There's a salad named after her. Great. She's the highest paid female athlete. On the other hand, it's not coming in commensurate with her success. And now all of all she's playing for is the brands. It feels like, I hope that's not true, but I think it does kind of create something. So look, nobody's going to be more eager to kick a wanker online more than me, but I do think there's something about the way the game is sort of sold and talked about that could protect these players a little bit more than just, you know, having better social media, um, you know, tools to block complete trolls, which we should also have, by the way. Well, I mean, trolls are trolls are trolls. I mean, I had one lady last week. It was, she was very upset at me because I had the audacity to uh, 
to uh, interview Emma Raducanu after a, a two-set match that lasted almost three hours in very, very hot heat in Washington, that I didn't allow her to get a drink of water before her interview. Now, I said, listen, I don't have control over the people. I don't have control over the players. If they want to sit there for five minutes and drink a water before they come to me, they can. If they want to say, I'm not doing the interview today, they can. If they want to come walking over to me immediately, they can. They do whatever they want. And that's what she did. She literally clapped her opponent off the court, which is really lovely, Camilla Osorio, who I adore, and uh, walked straight over to me, which I was like, oh, okay, well, you're not even going to go sit down and get a drink. All right, that's fine. You know, and, and you know, the Twitter hate for, for not allowing her to get a So, you know, these people that sit at home on their couches and think that they know so much is so friggin' annoying. <laughs> anyway, that's my that's my rant about that. And for those of you that don't appreciate what I'm saying or me on Twitter can not follow me. <laughs> anyway. That's a great place to end it because I yeah. uh that was surprisingly gentle for uh mm. Renee Stubbs talking about a topic that I know makes her nuts. All right, let's get this out so we can continue the Serena dialogue. I appreciate you talking about things that are both Serena related and Serena unrelated because we have a lot of great tennis um, ahead of us and we have some amazing events. If you would like to be invited to some of these events as people from our podcast listenership and newsletter often find themselves, um, you need to listen to the podcast. You need to rate it on Apple iTunes. We know who you are and you need to subscribe to the racket newsletter because I can promise you there are some things worth traveling to New York uh, that we have up our sleeves and you're not going to want to miss them. Yes, I think something on top of some building here in New York City is going to be quite spectacular. And Caitlin, I know that Racket, uh, you know, we love putting on a party. We love putting on a good party. Um, but most importantly, we love tennis as much as anybody does. And we cannot wait for this party. And we also cannot wait for the US Open. Of course, we've got the end of the, the tournaments in Toronto and Montreal, your old hometown. And of course, we have Cincinnati next week and then another couple of smaller tournaments leading up to the US Open. And of course, it is going to be the farewell to the great, the one, the only, Serena Williams.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.